Welcome to Ageless by Rescue. This podcast is devoted to exploring the science of rejuvenation, uncovering the most trusted experts, the must-have products, innovations, and technology in the field of vitality, aesthetics, new beauty, and cosmetic enhancement. This is an episode dedicated to the pesky skin condition of adult acne. Dr. Devin Lim is an Australian board-certified laser, procedural, and aesthetic dermatologist and founder of Cutis Clinic and Cutis Medical Practices in Brisbane. Dr. Lim is a highly regarded expert around the world for his expertise and is best known for his passion in the treatment of acne scarring, hyperpigmentation, and vascular conditions with various laser types. He is a master of explaining the science and practical strategies to combat and treat skin conditions that confound and vex us. In this episode with Dr. Lim, our second episode with Dr. Lim, we focus on adult acne. Dr. Lim deep dives into the causes, the treatments, lifestyle changes, and the products that can dramatically improve and potentially eradicate this this skin condition. From hormones, supplements, lasers and products, this episode is essential for anyone who is looking for scientifically based answers and solutions to adult acne. When we call hormonal acne, it is a true term, but I think that term has been misused a lot. Um, And it's partly because of social media. And everyone, look, we we see and they go, look, your hormones are okay. But then they say, oh, no, it can't be hormonal acne because my hormones are okay. So I think it encompasses a lot of different types of acne. We call it hormonal acne because the main thing to understand is that in the majority of cases, so probably about 98% of the cases, your hormones are actually fine, but your gland or oil gland is sensitive to uh, normal hormones. So what we call an intracrine abnormality, not an endocrine. Right. So, So you're absolutely right. The most common is hormonal, but obviously the other factors that come into play, which is like diet, stress, Poor skincare um, and, um, for example, poor makeup uh, use and, and not washing your, your your face correctly. So there's so many issues uh, in regards to that, even with diet as well. So let's let's break down the different causes because I think that this is um, a really interesting area to unpack. I want to first start with um, the the topical things because. One of um, the uh, the great kind of explosions uh, in the beauty industry is the many things we can do topically for our skin and particularly in the anti-aging realm. And it seems to me, even though my background is from the cosmetic industry, I, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I am from the cosmetic industry. And I remember, you know, having been a C-suite executive for some pretty major brands in my time the explosion of the number of things you can do to yourself at home and the explosion of the number of products that you can have on your skin at any one time, it strikes me as problematic. Absolutely agree. So as you know, now with um, acne, you you read any blog and and I guess it's a double-edged sword because a double-edged knife because you've got so much information out there on the internet and everyone that's an expert, because you can Google how to treat acne, skincare ingredients for acne, you know, best acne care. And you just have a million different things out there. 
and all the different skincare like you've like you've perceived and everything from you know naturopathic things like witch hazel and tea tree oil all the way up to your uh you know topical retinoids whether it be your dapolene trifaritine or your, your tazaritine or tretinoin and everything in between um so i think where I think this is really bad is, is that with the whole amount of information out there, patients decide to pick and choose, right? And with that, for example, you know, combining they, and it's it's not to have a go at them because I understand it's it's you know it, it's the influential um, people out there plus the marketing. And that's when they combine different things. You know, they might go, cool, you know, a beta hydroxy acid, something like salicylic acid, wash that, that's really good. So I'll use that. And you know what? The retinoid or retinol is really good. I'll use that. I'll use vitamin C because there's less pigment from the uh, from the acne itself. But when they combine all of that, um, as you know, bad things happen. So it's so, literally like conducting a crazy science experiment on your face twice a day. Absolutely. And, and I think the majority of patients, you know, just looking at how I mean, this progression of, of knowledge out there for the patients, you know, for, from the early, from the late 90s when I started in Derm to now, we see this huge explosion. And that's why we use the word iatrogenic, in other words, caused by the person themselves. Yeah. And, and <laughs> most I, things in life are that way. Yeah, and the vast the, the vast majority of stuff we see now is irritant dermatitis, especially when a patient comes in with acne. You can see that their skin is irritated. They've ripped it off with their BHAs. They've laid their retinol, and they're wondering why their skin is so bad. And to be fair to them, I think you know there's this knowledge out there, but then as you know, a little bit of knowledge can be uh, can be bad. Those two cleansers that you spoke of, um, both of them from the L'Oreal stable of brand, the, yep. the thing that I understand about them is that they were developed um, as, uh, you know, pharmacy-grade cosmeceutical skincare and they've been paired back, so really low in fragrance, low in irritants. Yep. Is, that, is yep. that why you like them? Yeah, so at the end of the day, us dermatologists like to control <laughs> control the known variables. And the most important variable to control is what's in the skincare. So that way we can uh, decipher between an allergic contact dermatitis, irritant contact dermatitis, um, and go from there. So it, it's just about control, about knowing stuff, because it's impossible for us, because when a patient comes in, nine out of ten times that they don't bring their skincare with them, and when they do bring the skincare with them, There'll be so much chemicals, preservatives um, in there that it's hard for us to decipher. Uh, but if you keep the known variables, generally speaking, if something goes wrong, whether it be a contact dermatitis or what have you, we can read the ingredients very quickly. Uh, and what and about the moisturizer for the dermal barrier? Uh, do you have any standouts that you think, you know what, I love this, it always works, it's nice and simple? I think, um, look, to name a couple, Avene makes really good ones. LRP with the Cicloplast makes really good stuff as well. Um, Cetaphil with their moisturizer, even though it contains, uh, you know, certain stuff like SLS. It, it's it's all, it, it's not about something that's good. It's about something that is low irritant, that doesn't cost the earth, that actually gets the job done. Um, and, and that's what the moisturizer is for, to actually reduce your transepidermal water loss, improve skin barrier function, um, so we've got a good cleanser, a good dermal barrier moisturizer. We've got an SPF. Um, do you ask your patients to have blood tests, hormonal testing? Uh, do you do any other tests when uh, in the instance of severe adult acne or sudden adult acne? 
Yes. So the answer to that question, when I used to do a lot of medical dermatology and treat acne, I, if patients come in in their mid-20s, you know, um, even late-20s, early-30s, I do a whole heap of endocrine tests, right? And, and I'll tell you why. It's because twice a year we'll pick up a tumour. Um, and you heard me right, pick up a tumour. Because when you look at actual hormonal, when, when you use the word hormonal acne, the public will have a certain perception. The endocrinologists and dermatologists have a totally different perception. So when we look at stuff like your 17-hydroxyprogesterone, your prolactin, your dihydroepiemetoserine sulfate, um, the whole heap of, of um, endocrine tests, Occasionally, like probably once or twice a year, I'll pick up a, um, a, a pituitary tumor um, because the wow. prolactin. So it's it's not. It's, that's why I say in 99 of the cases, you're absolutely fine. You have normal hormones, sensitive glands. In that one to two percent, you may have, for example, con, you know, congenital adrenal hyperplasia. You may have an ovarian tumor. You may have a pituitary tumor. And that one to two percent is what the specialist is there for. Uh, yes. Because we pick up the rare stuff. Um, so the answer to your question is that, yes, I do take um, blood tests. Uh, and before I refer them off to my colleagues, I always get the blood tests as well. And, and you will pick up one or two a year if you actually look for it. One of the interesting things is this. Um, because of the, I guess, the oral contraceptive pill, whether you're on drospirinone or sacrotone acetate, they actually camouflage a lot of your um, adult female hormonal acne, right? So in patients... When they go on it, when they're teens or late teens, and they carry forth in their, you know, in their twenties, they're acne free essentially. And then at some stage, they've got to stop that, and, and that's usually in their early thirties. When they stop that, next thing you know, acne is just it just comes out. So I think in this day and age, a lot of people are sweeping acne under the carpet. Uh, so you think we, more of us have acne than we know we do? hundred percent. Yeah. So if you think about logically, and, and we see that all the time, yeah, oh, my, my acne, uh, my hormonal acne is actually better because of the pill. We know that. But when you stop it, it's going to come out. And those patients are left in a difficult situation because most often they want to conceive at that stage, which means 90% of all the acne therapies out there can't be used. So let's go to scarring because it's a perfect segue now to talk about treatments um, that that are available. So we said, you know, light therapy can potentially reduce the um, active phase of the acne cycle. Um, but what, what do we do with the scarring? What are some of the options? I know there's laser, there's PRP. They, what do you like to treat uh, uh, acne scarring with? Yeah, so we take one step back when, and I do this a lot on my social media, you know, the most important thing with acne scar or with acne is not to pick. So when you look at preventing or mitigating scars, something as simple and as cheap as an acne patch, you know, five cents, 10 cents at most for one patch, that reduces picking. And by reducing picking, especially in late onset acne, you mitigate scarring. So if we take a step back, just using those, you know, Hydrocolloid dressings, super cheap, you know, five to six bucks from a chemist warehouse. That to me is brilliant. If they can have that on so that, that way their uh, lesions heal up quicker in a be- better moist environment that's, you know, that's bacteria free and, and traumatic free, that heaps, that, that makes such a difference. From there, um, the algorithm gets really complex. 
So there's everything from lasers to surgery to, to chemical peels to, like I said, PRP, um, light treatment, IPL, there's a whole heap of different stuff. Um, but I think for me, it's educating the patients to actually mitigate scarring in the first place. But from there, if you if you got acne scarring, it really depends on your, you know, your skin type, your type of scar, your skill sets of your practitioner, um, the whole heap, the algorithms are really complex. So I always tell patients, let's try to mitigate this before you actually get scarring. And in terms of sugar, you know, we talked about um, the effect of sugar and inflammation. Um, I guess that that would be an obvious thing to cut out of your diet if you're in an anti-acne diet. Yeah. So anything found in a packet, generally speaking, I tell patients, look, anything found in a packet that tastes good, uh, generally speaking, is probably not good. (laughs) And oils? Is there any kind of oil that we should switch to? You know, obviously we know that palm oil is like butane for acne. Are there any preferred oils um, that you recommend as part of the acne diet? Yeah, I mean, it's hard because you've got your, uh, I think if you're going to cook something, probably olive oil would be good. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't like the essential oils in the face. Yeah. So, there is a big list of um, comedogenic versus non-comedogenic oils. Um, I forgot that list, but all I remember is that it's not what you think. In other words, there's some <laughs> oils out there. Is there some oils out there which you can put on your face, which do not obstruct your pores? But there's a whole big list, and it goes from uh, comedogenic all the way to non-comedogenic. So I might have like a rain check on actually <laughs> expressing those oils. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please share and rate this episode. I'd love that. Ageless by Rescue is brought to you by Rescue Me Academy, Reignite Your Relationship course. Love your relationship, but miss the early days? You're not alone. This course will teach you how to identify your issues, stop the fighting, find what you need to be happy, re-spark intimacy, and keep the lines of communication open. Join us at rescuemeacademy.com.au to learn more about the program and to download your first free lesson.